Hi guys and welcome to another episode of Third Culture Africans. I hope you're all doing well as we continue to soldier on through pandemic and lockdowns around the world, as well as some countries who have curfews. On this week's episode, my guest is Ifeinwa Frederick, one of the duo of a new revolutionary concept of African food. She's a self-confessed overachiever and believes that social dining is an intricate part of African culture. Chop Chat Chill is the slogan that goes with their business. And she's an incredible talent who is a well-being advocate. I hope you enjoy this episode as much as I did sitting with Ifeinwa and really just following through her journey today. Welcome to another episode of Third Culture Africans. I am your host, Zezo Sal. I created the show as a resource for our community of Africans and African diaspora. A safe and honest place to share, inspire, motivate, and most importantly, celebrate those in our communities doing purposeful work and shifting the needle on our culture. Your support is invaluable to the show, so please subscribe or follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and leave us a review on your favorite streaming platform. You are valid, you are strong, and you are just getting started. Hi, Fenwa. Thank you for joining us on this week's episode of Third Culture Africans. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to chat. Yeah. So before we came on and started talking, we had a brief discussion about names and you were like, well, I don't really like being called Ifi. Um, so I'd like to be introduced by my real name, which is Ifeinwa um, Frederick. And I said, I, actually, I planned on using Ifeinwa. And your response was, well, um, growing up in the UK, I guess I'll, I'll let you I'll let you kind of expand on that a little bit more and, and, and why you like to formally be introduced as, you know, what your name is actually, Ifeinwa. So I don't have a, a problem, in fact, being called Ify. Um, I'm someone that shortens most people's names anyway. Like most of my friends get end up being called something that's one syllable. Um, but it's just that my name is Ifeinwa. Um, in particular, my name is Ifeinwa Frederick. Um, and basically my I've got my dad's surname and a Nigerian first name which comes from my my mother's Nigerian heritage so for me my name is very much a full representation of who I'm from of where I'm from rather and so when I've if someone's seen my name and they've automatically gone to ask oh is there something shorter they can call me it really like winds me up because you haven't tried and you don't you don't know um but and actually my name isn't that well most names aren't difficult to say if you just listen to people phonetically and so for me it's more a case of I don't mind people going around calling me iffy but I want you to know that that's a shortened version of my full name which is a fame and I like to have so with all my work um whether it's interviews to do with the restaurant or my writing it's always attributed to fame Frederick because that's who I am and I want that name to kind of like sing out loud and so I, I have actually since we started the restaurants I've had a few sticky moments with people as well um in particular people of Nigerian heritage who've been Yoruba who've again like shortened my name but played with it and thought it was something else and I remember one guy telling me I was saying my name wrong and I'm like I'm not saying it wrong I'm not Yoruba so when I'm saying iffy it's iffy it's not iffy 
and and like yeah. <laughs> and I just have this, this thing so for me my name has always been whether it's actually from people of the UK or actually other Nigerians it's been like a a real um often a point of conversation that I haven't necessarily always wanted to have and so I'm really quite precious over it and also it it means something very beautiful so my name means there's nothing like a child um and it's something I'm very proud of so yeah I like I like it to be there when it can be amazing so in I, I was saying in season one it was something that I would talk about actually more often than not because I I, I think season one for me was really like establishing I guess some of the challenges you have as a third culture kid growing up in a, in a different culture, um, but most specifically, I think within our community as Africans, this te- tends to happen often where, you know, we all shorten our names. Like my full name is not Zeze, but even I was born in a different city to where my parents were from. So my name automatically was shortened and I've actually never used my full name um, other than on my passport or when I'm doing anything like super professional, but everybody knows me as Zezza. So I definitely understand. And I think that's something that is seemingly common with a lot of, I guess, third culture Africans across the world. So it's interesting that even amongst ourselves, those nuances still persist as well as in the wider world. But we digress. Let's jump right into why you're actually on the show. So you are one of the duo of the infamous Chukus London, dubbed the best of Nigeria in London. Your brother and yourself, Emeka, opened up in 2016, quite a pioneering concept for food in the UK called Chukus London. Yeah, it's um, it's been some journey um, from when we started in 2016 as a pop-up um, to where we are today with our own permanent premises. It's, uh, I almost don't know where to begin. <laughs> there are so many parts of it that are sort of running through my head. Um, well, I guess starting off with, I guess, the most obvious part, which is one family business working with a sibling um, and birthing an idea. So I have got a number of questions, but I think my first one would be around the inception or the inspiration or what sparked the idea for both of you to go into business with the concept of Chukus London and, and what is Chukus London? So it's just just to clarify, it's just Chukus. Um, so our social media handles have oh, okay. London, but and the website's got London. So it is a number of people do it. It gets a bit confusing, but we are just Chukus. Um, but the idea essentially, the idea came about because of where we're from. Um, and I mean that in the broadest sense. So A, because of our Nigerian heritage, but also where we grew up, which was on the border of East London and Essex. So that meant where we were growing up, there weren't really places where we could experience Nigerian culture or eat the food and really out that was accessible to us outside of our family home and I think growing up it used to be something like we used to half jokingly complain about like oh we have to go so far oh wouldn't it be nice if we had a place on our doorstep or more accessible and at the same time we were going to schools and in environments where we were mixing with all sorts of um, all people from all sorts of cultures And when it came to people's birthdays and celebrations, 
there was nearly like always an opportunity for us to share in their culture, um, maybe at another restaurant or something like that. But then when it, if we'd wanted to do the same thing, it wasn't as easy for us to do. And a bar like someone coming over and having jollof in our house, it wasn't it wasn't so easy for us to create a space where we to find a space rather infamous jollof. <laughs> it wasn't universal jollof. Jollof is that is like my one of my friends. I remember her first taste of it in school, and she was like, "What's in your lunchbox?" And I was like, "I have something." She was like, "What is this?" Like in because she had fallen in love. And that was the reception that our food always got when um, we we let our friends try it and they had the opportunity to experience it. And so as we were getting older, it it, it kind of wasn't making sense to us. The food was great. Um, the culture that people experienced when they were around us loved it. And we loved it. And yet at the same time, there weren't many places where we could experience it. And so, but we knew that because people loved it, the issue really isn't like the it, do you know what I mean? It's more, there isn't something yet that exists that is given space to it. But would that be accurate though? Because there are Nigerian restaurants. So when you say, so it's, yeah. It's not that there weren't Nigerian restaurants. And that's why I started with where I grew up because I grew up on the border of East London, Essex and near us at that time, there weren't many Nigerian restaurants that were easily accessible. So, I mean, they weren't in places where me and my friends were frequenting already, where you, but other restaurants were. And that's, and that's what I'm talking about. It's not that there haven't been Nigerian restaurants. There have been, because that's where we used to go. But there would always be quite a journey from us. And if we were now talking about saying to friends, you know, if you have a group, you're going, oh yeah, let's meet up here. If we were going to places like Shoreditch, so to speak, and that's where the night's motive is, going to... I don't know, maybe South East London, that's a detour from where we were wanting to end up for the evening. And that's more, I mean, that they weren't the, there weren't opportunities for us to share in our culture in the places where we were going. And so actually when we set up Chikus and when we planned to find our own place, our location was what was really important. For us, we wanted to be in an accessible location, somewhere obvious on a high street where people, wherever they're coming from, could get to so the restaurant for example you can get to from the city within like 25 minutes or so and because of that because of that specific um issue we'd had growing up amazing and so taking taking that you guys you know then created I guess what is the UK's first Nigerian tapas restaurant and tapas being the concept around the dishes Mm -hmm. well I think the tapas is more than just the sharing plates. I think that's what most people readily understand it as. But Emeka was the one that had lived in Madrid before. And when we were talking about the concept, we decided that we wanted to do sharing plates and smaller plates of dishes so that people could try a wide range of Nigerian flavours. Like, you know, we know that Nigeria is a very diverse country. And we we know, for example, that our menu doesn't even do justice to the culinary diversity. And what we didn't want is for people to come to the restaurant and try one dish because that's it was a main menu, a main meal, and then not like that dish and decide they knew Nigerian cuisine because of that. 
And so in mm. giving people smaller sharing plates, it was about giving people an opportunity to try a wider range of Nigerian flavors. Mm. And so as we were talking, we said, yeah, that's a really good idea. People can have a bit of that. And also, again, it made it more accessible. If you're trying a cuisine for the first time, then you don't you're not committing yourself to one dish and you can you can think, OK, well, even if I didn't like X, maybe there'll be something else that I like. And then as we had that conversation about the sharing plate, Emeka said, oh, this reminds me a bit about tapas and tapas. Um, and then he was explaining how tapas is a very much a social dining concept like you go with your friends it's very sociable and as we, he was expressing that to me we were like that's just our culture that's Nigerian culture it's funny like I guess tapas is considered a social dining concept but most people well I guess Nigeria in some ways is is almost absent from the food the, the food discussions at the moment and it's kind of in, in, in coming in now but most people don't necessarily automatically think of describing Nigeria has been social dining, but Nigerian culture is centered around social dining. Nigerians get together around food. <laughs> like that's what we this do. This is true. <laughs> mm-hmm. So we are we are at our heart. Um social dining mm. culture is at the heart of who we are. Mm-hmm. And so for mm-hmm. us, using t- food is love. Have a headache. It's food. It is. Anything if, is wrong. If there's some food. <laughs> if you gather, if you and your friends gather, or if you've gone to someone's house mm. and there's not even a slight offer of something what and they offer you crisps it's like what we went there and they didn't even give us food it doesn't make only water no drinks (laughs) (laughs) if you have a headache your mom says have you eaten it is everything begins and ends with food for us like it Mm -hmm. it 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 means everything um and so yeah and so that's where the tapas element came in as in it was really for us it was just a really easy way of conveying the sharing plates plus the social dining. That's essentially what tapas is. And that's what we felt, that's what we wanted to do in terms of presenting the menu in sharing plates. But also Chukus was about was going to be a restaurant that was about social dining and having that social atmosphere, that kind of convival, convival? Yeah, convival atmosphere that I think that Nigerians have when they get together. Very much, I, I think we're very much big-hearted, um, traditionally big-hearted, open-hearted people. Yeah, eating is social you know, you get around in the kitchen, like, you know, the kitchen is the place where you hang out, even as kids, right, teenage kids, your friends will come around. Um, I remember one of my early experiences, um, because unlike you, I, I moved here um, in my preteens or early, early teens, actually. And I remember, like, friends would come to hang out. And, you know, it was almost like, uh, like an ushering into the, your room and you're thinking but hold on a minute like we're not that close to make it to my room yet like you know <laughs> we make it to the kitchen we make it to like communal areas and I, I and I remember one of those sort of cultural there was like a cultural moment for me because actually culturally you know the kids go and play in rooms whereas growing up in in Africa you know you started in a communal place, like, you know, you would all say, do you want something to drink? And then you would go to the kitchen and then you would offer them something to drink. And then you'd hang about in the kitchen for a very long time because it's a communal space. And then, you know, you didn't really want to be in the living room because everybody had access to it. So the kitchen was almost kind of a little bit off limits. And then from there you would make it outside. So to, to further your point. This podcast is sponsored by Malay Natural Science. Malay's products are inspired by the rich landscapes, alluring scents, and ancient wisdom of Africa. 
Their luxurious fragrance and body care range balances 100% natural active ingredients and scientifically proven formulas to heal, protect, and pamper your skin. Malay ships worldwide, and you can buy their products at maleeonline.com. They also offer a free sample if you'd like to try. Back to Chukus, and to touch on a few things that you mentioned around sort of the, the concept being birth. Now, was this idea happening for both yourself and your brother at the same time? And, and how does that then evolve into, okay, why don't we go ahead and do this? So the original, original, original idea began many years ago. And so we were taught, we spoke years ago about um, having our own Nigerian restaurant. Um, and for years we would back and forth ideas. But you know, in that way you do when it's like not committed you're like, oh, wouldn't it be good if, oh, that could be cool. But no one's really moving on it. And then America went to uni and then I went to uni and then he was away and then I was away. And it was when I was away that that's when America started doing um, dinner parties. He had some friends over and he started whipping up some dishes um, and sharing with them. And then he sent me pictures of, of the dinner parties that he was having. And I was like, this is exciting. Let's talk about this when we get home. And so it's when I got home, that's when we started having the conversation specifically about what became Chukus. So the conversation had moved from being, oh, wouldn't it be interesting to do a Nigerian restaurant one day? What might that be? To now we were actually having a conversation about the concept itself. So that's when we were talking about the social dining atmosphere. That's when we were talking about the sharing plates. And that's the, and I remember exactly where we were when we came up with Chop Chat Chill. We were sat in our sofa in our living room. And so that part of the conversation, so that birthing of Chukus as it is today, was kind of happening along together off the back of the dinner parties that Emeka had had um, like this that summer, I think it was. Amazing. And so you mentioned going to university and I will be amiss um, if I don't, if I don't include these this this section because I'm sure your parents will think I paid all of that money. <laughs> um, so you you know what I mean. Um, so you study classics. <laughs> did I did I hit the nail on the head? No, but you know I'm laughing so much is because um, <laughs> I was I recently said to someone, do you know what? For all the studying I've done, I've never applied for a job since with my uni degree. And no, yeah, one, class- and no one asked me about my degree. No one asked me about all my education. All about money. <laughs> so let's talk about it. Yeah. I am today. I am give- This is for Mr. and Mrs. Frederick. This one is for you, mummy and daddy, when you listen to this. Um, you studied classics at Cambridge. Yeah. Um, which is, one, quite a sought-after program. And two, to have gotten into that program as a Black woman, I'm sure in today's world mustn't have been easy. So there weren't many of us on the course, um, black women, but I think that starts from before the university as in Latin. So that's what I studied. I studied Latin at school, which is what enabled me to apply for classics. Latin and classics aren't courses that are widely available and actually as I was going through the process, I remember 
having talking to an organization that works with improving access to classics within all schools um and I, and I know for someone listening they might be like who the hell cares about this like why does that matter but for me I think it really does like I absolutely loved classics as a course um I loved learning Latin and I think so many other people or so many other children would love it as well the stories are great um and it just feels such a shame that it's a it's a subject that is essentially not available to you if you go to a particular school and so and I think that's kind of where the issue kind of starts a lot earlier on in terms of the access to that course in your secondary school so you don't even know it's an option yet when I talk to people about my degree and what I studied which was essentially ancient philosophy ancient history Latin and ancient Greek and when I talk about the stories or the things I learn like people love it like the today you've got Ryan Holiday whose books are so popular his books are stoic philosophy repackaged so classics is clearly something that would like resonate with a lot of people I'm so passionate about it. like honestly I love my course uh, I'm to this day I'm a classics geek um and so yeah <laughs> and I do I do really feel it's such a shame that so many people do, don't even know it's a thing that was available to them to study or they couldn't have studied simply because of the school they went to but it was definitely an interesting three years an intense three years I don't think up until that age, I'd been so uncomfortable um, because school was relatively easy. Mm. And then I went to Cambridge and I was like, oh, (laughs) (laughs) baptism of fire. Yeah. (laughs) Um, And I remember feeling like I was floundering a lot. Um, And I, I think that was really important experience for me, to be honest. I think it's enabled me to do what I do today and become the person I am because everything everything had been quite easy for me like going through the school process everything I applied for I got blah 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 blah. even even applying to Cambridge which you're told is a difficult thing I still got um and it was always and I, up until that point I had always been at the top and then I go to this institution and it was like ah, oh, becoming the top was challenging <laughs> that was like you know the top I guess would have been me leaving with a first which I didn't do um, and actually, I remember getting into my final year and being like, I'm not interested in the first. I'm not interested in doing what it might take for me to get a first. I'm interested. There were other things I wanted to do in my final year. And the person that arrived at the university would never have said that. Like, I couldn't, I wouldn't have even been able to comprehend not getting the top goal. Because for me, without realising it, I think I'd actually started to over-identify myself with um like my academic successes and that's that's been like a process that I've been on a journey of unlearning and so like um dissociating from the work that I do and dissociating from my achievements and separating myself from them so as not to tie up my identity into sort of external successes but that process was kick-started by going to Cambridge because all of a sudden (laughs) being the top and being the best became a really difficult endeavor to maintain um and it made me question and then it started to make me think you know what else is there and what and how else do I want to live but classics is amazing basically just a plug just a plug for classics no 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 but but I think you know what often doesn't happen is we hear the stories of the after right like the end destination but seldomly do we ever really walk the journey with people on the during right like so someone will walk past you know chugus or would have seen you know your very successful crowdfunding project you know or seen that you guys have 20 plus 
of a social community online for a physical business. And these are all things that I want to kind of tap into, but um, I'm summarizing here. Um, so go with me and not realize that perhaps the journey and look, neither yourself or Emeka are trained chefs. Now, you know, further down the line, this the, the upskilling happens and, you know, he's able to create these experiences, etc. But the, the beginnings of it are of someone who loved Latin and, and, and studied classics at Cambridge. Um, that is that is the starting part of the journey. And and I guess that was that question was to lead into building a business around your strengths is usually something I say when I give a talk or consult or whatever. And and this is perhaps the thing that everybody says, but yet you guys have built Chukus as, you know, none of you were master chefs before this. I guess there's something around knowing, like, as you've said, culture, being culture, creating it for other people's consumption. And, you know, what level of expertise takes you from, you know, classics to, you know, having a 10 out of 10 rated restaurant or, you know, on Google 4.9 stars, which pretty much doesn't happen to any restaurant on Google. Um, you know, what takes you there from, you know, two siblings who just wanted to share something that they felt was beautiful about their heritage and their relationship with food. So I actually don't think what happened is too dissimilar to your advice, which is I do think I did build a business around my strengths. I think Emeka and I both did. So firstly, I would say that what I learned at university (laughs) with (laughs) the essay a week um, and titles that I didn't understand was how to do something that I didn't know how to do. And as in, where to, when you don't know how to do something or you don't know how to answer a question, where to begin? Like that, that in itself is a very particular thing because so often there is something someone wants to do, but they don't know where to start. And because they don't know where to start, they don't do it. But I actually think at university, I got quite good at doing things that I didn't know how to do because that was every week I'd get this essay title, but I don't even know where to begin with this. Like what, where do I start? And I was, I got quite, I don't think I noticed it at the time, but I was getting quite used to being uncomfortable. Um, and actually I think most of my experiences growing up were uncomfortable from like, I, like I was someone that was doing interviews for schools from the age of like 10 or whatever. Um, and just often in environments that where I was learning how to present myself and, and to shape my ideas. So I think that skill set is what enabled me to start a restaurant with my brother when neither of us had hospitality experience because I didn't know what to do, but I knew how to find out what I needed to do. And, and, and I feel like I'd been trained, I'd been trained in that in being okay with, okay, I don't know the answer yet, but I know how to find it. And then similarly, I think my one of my strengths um, is creating, is coming up with ideas. Like my mind buzzes with ideas. Since since we've started Chikus, I've had so many other ideas. I'm constantly having writing ideas and I literally like just drop stuff down and some, like some ideas I'll never do. And actually with because it was like a blank slate and I just got to come up with ideas just what how would we do this how would we do that and I think the fact that 
I didn't come from, neither of us came from a hospitality background, was so freeing because there weren't, I wasn't kind of, we weren't hung by any rules. It was like, well, what do, what do we want to do? What do we want to see? And I would argue my strength was restaurants. I'd never worked in a restaurant, but I'd eaten and I like food. Like, so like, I love food. I love going to restaurants. And I had very, and like to this day, I tell people all the time, I love food to the point, like, it's what I think about. I was thinking about today, what will I eat before I record? Because I want to make sure I've eaten before we speak. <laughs> like, I think about food all the time. I, it plays such an important role in my life. And so when coming up with the restaurant, it was like, okay, how do we convey that to people? How do we um, bring that out? And ultimately, I didn't know how Mm. to run a restaurant, but a restaurant sits within the hospitality Mm -hmm. industry. And I know how to be hospitable. That is a strength of mine. I know how to make people feel welcome. I know how to be open hearted. I know how to make you feel special um, and have a special moment. And I like to think my friends would agree with that do you know what I mean and actually that's something and bringing people together um is something I have always personally enjoyed doing so it it was what it was Chikus does work to my strengths in a number of ways and I think that's why when doing it I feel so fulfilled because it really enables me to tap into a number of things I just think sometimes your strengths are maybe packaged up differently so maybe it maybe it looked more obvious that I would go and start a performing arts school because I was always doing dance and drama but actually like those same skill sets could man is art is what allowed me to manifest itself into chikus and also I think that um restaurants are like are like a piece of theatre anyway as well like when you watch them the way you've got the behind the scenes when everyone's gathering before we open and then you open it's like performance time even just how the waiters arrive ordering the food I can tell you in lockdown how many times I have dreamt of a restaurant experience and just seeing (laughs) the plate arrive and the song and dance in your mind that's happening as that plate is 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 in front of you but I think the proof is in the pudding you know time out best of Nigeria and London you know, writing recipes for the likes of Telegraph, etc. So, I, you know, I, I think you guys have been able to, I guess, to a critic's, um, uh, 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 I guess, narrative is, you know, stick it to them and go, hey, but, you know, we've got this, we've got an experience, we've got chop chill or chop chat chill, and which has stuck and, and is sticking. Um, and has even stuck into the pandemic. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like um, a lot, of, a lot of businesses, you know, in the last year have taken a huge knock. Have all had to find ways to pivot. Have all had to find ways to adjust to the current climate. And I really wanted to talk about how you guys, as what is considered a face-to-face physical business, especially where the concept is all around sort of the social element and how you guys have successfully digitized that. And, and you were able to convey that early on in the journey pre, pre-lockdown pre and COVID and pandemic, and you've managed to still keep that through this period. Do you, do you mind sharing a little bit around that or even just... Yeah, so I think... The inception. I think an um, advantage we had in a way was that for a very long time, we didn't have a physical space. So Chiku's turned five at the start of this year, but we only got 
our permanent place four years in. So that meant for four years, we were building a community without having a regular spot around which people could gather. But in those four years, before we opened that permanent space, I think we were successful in building a community and we'd found a way um, to kind of convey that um, social element and, br or, and bring enough people together. And so I think that meant that when the lockdown happened, we knew it was definitely possible for us to continue doing that even without our physical space. The question was just how. And so one of the things, you know, we went back to, which and we always go back to is Chop Chat Chill and what are we about? And we're about Nigerian culture and bringing people together and community. And so we, it really came about what, things can we do during this time that will continue to celebrate the culture, to share the culture and bring people together. And during the first lockdown, that looked like we did, um, not, we held Nollywood not Netflix parties. Um, I love Nollywood. And so we would get, would get, every, so would get everyone together. <laughs> Guilty Listen, pleasure. I, oh, I love it. Guilty um, pleasure. We'd get people together to watch a Nollywood film, and then we'd all be able to use the Netflix party. I think it's like app or um, Chrome extension. We'd all be able to share and have and have a conversation together, and that was really brilliant because we were getting people to watch um, some people to watch Nollywood for the first time, and we were having this like it was like being at the cinema with your mates essentially, like having this real time conversation about the film we were watching. And some of the comments were so. <laughs> so so funny and I think my favorite one was when we watched Up North um because that film um which is set in um, beautiful Bauchi, cinematography by the way and a great right? way to showcase actually, the north yeah for, for so many for so many Nigerians who are, who mm. maybe live here and only really know Lagos like they were like whoa I have not seen this part of Nigeria either and so it was like that was one of my favorite films for us to have shared because I think it really gave people an insight into like, wow, this country really is diverse. Like I thought I knew it. Um, and then I remember us, there was, <laughs> I remember, cause in there's a scene where they go on the hunt. I think they go on the hunt for Sia. Um, and then someone was like, oh, what's Sia? And then we were having a conversation about that. And then someone else was sending links about the best places to find it in Nigeria. And so that was one of the ways that we were just able to continue sharing the culture and bringing people together. And then we also held virtual supper clubs um, which was essentially a digitizing of what we'd done as a pop-up and would, everyone would gather at a particular time with their meal, we'd all eat together, we'd all share a learning and during that time we'd, you know, there were questions that we would put together and that was really lovely bringing together people over food which I think is again what Nigerian culture does so well and so often and it really did matter that people came together to eat and people enjoyed it and would share it, have a toast and then we also started our Chukus chat series. So for a long time, we had on the blog interviews with Nigerians that were doing interesting things, whose work that we wanted to share with the community. But we'd really wanted to make it a video series. But Emeka and I had just never got around to doing it. So we used the lockdown as an opportunity to do that. And that was, for me personally, that gave me so much life, having these one-to-one -one conversations with people at what was quite a difficult time and actually hearing their stories I found quite like encouraging and inspiring and it kind of each time we'd have an interview it really like uplift me and I was so excited again to be able to share um, those stories with the community and then people would essentially 
digitally glabber, I guess, around them to listen to them and to watch them. And so those were that during the first lockdown, those are the ways in which we first started in kind of keeping our community together, bringing people together. And I think ultimately just recognising it was a difficult time for a lot of people. And so we were really selective with the content that we were sharing and that we we sought to be like a a space of positivity for people, um, even just from the artwork that we choose to share. So on our Instagram, we always share art from Nigerian artists. Um, and during that time, we were like particularly looking for vibrant, uplifting pieces of art to share, to kind of make people's day slightly brighter. And then second time around, <laughs> second lockdown, um, we brought to fruition something we actually began working on during the first lockdown, which was our at-home offering. Um, so our Chop Chat Chill ready meal kits. And so in the first lockdown, we'd nailed the food around them. We knew what that was going to look like. It was going to have certain elements from our tapas menu, but we were going to put bring them all together in a wrap for people to finish off at home. But we'd always been clear that just like the restaurant and everything else we did, it needed to be beyond food and there needed to be a way that we were bringing the culture to people's door as well. And so that was what took a bit longer. Um, and so now that looks like a QR code that you scan when you get your kit and it takes you to a page on our website. And we've got a playlist of Nigerian music. There's a Nigerian art. There's a short film. Um, there's a proverb as well. So there's a whole sort of introduction, I guess, to the culture again. So whilst you can't come to the restaurant and have it all there on our walls, whilst you're at home, you can have this sort of Nigerian evening and experience the food as well as some other elements of the culture amazing amazing and and you guys were still able to create that unique twist on Nigerian dishes um which is I've used the word unique so ingenious that would be a better word (laughs) in genius um even just and some of it is 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 still quite linked to um tradition like ways that certain tribes would traditionally prepare things like I I remember the first time I saw you know your egusi balls and how you guys were presenting just egusi as a dish to people and I was just like oh my god like because there's certain cultures that cook the agusi in the in this in the again soup soup stew in bowls and oh my god you know and actually like spanish food you know african food doesn't lend itself to being overly dressed you know like it, and 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 I guess I would say that's what I loved the most about seeing what you guys were able to do. And then just watching you guys digitize something that, you know, historically uh, and is quite difficult to digitize. Like it's near enough impossible. Right. And, and most restaurants have, have tried to pivot and, 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 and adjust to that and, and the experiences thereof. Um, And just watching that journey, especially in our space um, where you guys were already starting to break barriers and have, you know, African food be accessible um, and accessible beyond a sort of novel kitsch experience, but in a in a in a cultural and meaningful way. Um, and I know I've I've used 
several words to describe the feeling. And so just giving your flowers on that, on that, um, but moving, moving into, I guess, m- more about your yourself as, I guess, mindset of entrepreneurs, yourself, your brother, and into creating this concept. And we're all navigating, you know, the pandemic for the first time. No one's ever done this before. No one has um, the blueprint on how you can succeed. Um, but you, you alongside this, you know, still make use of your classics degree. Um, and you've, you know, written plays, um, which have been shortlisted for, you know, the Tony Craze Award, um, you know, the Verity Hargett Award, and a few others, um, which wouldn't be out of your depth considering you went to Cambridge um, because overachieving is part of the game, right? (laughs) Um, But you've openly spoken about burnout. And I think feeling depleted, tired, stressed um, is something everybody, I think, is going through through this pandemic. I guess I wanted to talk to you more around, I guess, your therapy, which is dance. And, you know, you started dance school at 16. I'm throwing it all in, all in very, very long sentences <laughs> here. Um, I really am. Um, but the true Nigerian way, we're never, we're never, no, I'm, we're I'm, never short about anything. <laughs> no, I'm throwing it all in because I, I think I'm trying to paint a vivid picture of, I guess, one, often people think entrepreneurship is, you know, just one way, um, and multifaceted. You, you're you're concurrently doing things to a high standard, but it comes at a cost, which you've openly spoken about, which is burning out and finding ways of navigating something that we're all sharing now commonly just due to the pressures of how we're living and just wondered if you if you could talk a little bit more around balancing you know talent skill passion ambition and then the reality of hey I'm burnt out yeah I have so much to say about this so firstly I just think that we have a problem as society which doesn't like where I think we're all valued on how productive we can be or that's at least how we think and so like it's become this weird toxic thing where yeah you're your job you're your job title and 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 the bank balance yeah (laughs) but also I think if you if you think about the last few times you spoke to your friends and how often someone told you they're tired it's just such a normal thing for someone to say oh yeah I'm tired I'm tired of being tired I yeah, am tired of being tired. That we wake up in the morning and you're tired, but tired, not sleeping, working really hard are like seem to be celebrated. And one of the reasons I am so vocal about this is because had I watched someone else be vocal about it, had I watched someone else say they're going to bed and they're getting sleep and blah, 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 I probably wouldn't have done the, some of the things I did. And I probably would have taking more time for rest and ultimately I didn't because I believed wrongly at the time that sleep and other such things were secondary and that I needed to work non-stop essentially to achieve what I wanted to achieve and if anyone is listening to this I really don't think that's the case because when you're burnt out 
and you're literally lying in your bed and your brain can't think, you can't read, like you can't, like write in a sentence is so difficult for you. You cannot even possibly work towards any of your dreams. You can't. And that is genuinely the reality that, that, that a lot of us are risking heading towards or some other sort of physical illness. Um, and so actually increased cortisol level stress yeah and you, a lot of us will be doing damage to our adrenal glands as well but had I taken more time to rest I probably would have just been able to continue for longer but at a more consistent pace whereas what I actually did was in the space of about two or three years I essentially had three burnouts um um, because I would go really hard, then it would, it would happen. I'd be like, oh, okay, cool, let me rest. And then I'd, I'd rest for like a week. You don't recover from burnout in a week, can I just say? <laughs> you don't. You think you do, but you don't. Um, and, then I, and then I would go again, and then I'd do the same thing again. But I'd, I'd be like, no, I've learned this time. I'm doing a lot better. And I'd lie to myself really well. Mm. And it's really easy to lie. Like, I'm only doing what's important. Mm. There aren't that many mm. things that are that important. And then it happened again. And I think it was around the final time and I just and I remember just thinking this is ridiculous like I'm and I would get to the point where I'd I'd make myself unhappy even though the things I did individually I loved and I was like the problem isn't my work the problem is me and the relationship I've built between myself my work and my well-being and I've built this narrative that I have to sacrifice myself to be successful and some for some reason being successful felt more important than looking after myself because of the way that I'd been nurtured essentially by society and so uh, I've spent a lot can, of time can you say that again calibrating that can you say that again so, being successful so had started to, to feel more important than my well-being because of the way I'd been nurtured by society and so I've spent a lot of time recalibrating that because I recognize actually if I got all the things I wanted and at the time you know restaurant opening plays all the stuff um shows on blah 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 if I got all of those things but I kept ending up in this way burning out like I wouldn't be able to enjoy them so what was I doing it for and I really had to ask myself a lot of questions and I'll be very honest and frank these are questions I still ask myself because it takes a long time to undo habits there's times I find myself checking emails where I don't need to, when I don't need to be I like convince myself that I need to do something important because essentially I'm looking for a dopamine hit because maybe I'm feeling a bit low confidence that day and actually I'm looking for something that will lift me up but I'm looking outside of myself and it doesn't work there aren't enough um things outside of yourself that can ever properly fulfill you all of that has to come internally and it's actually funny that we're recording this today because when I was journaling this morning I was reading so I started my day this morning by reading some philosophy and I was reading one of the, I was reading, rereading this quote by Marcus Aurelius in Meditations. And basically I've just been so frustrated with some stuff and something wasn't working. Well, it wasn't that it wasn't working. It hadn't had the response that I wanted it to. And that's the important thing. It wasn't that it wasn't necessarily working. It hadn't had the response I wanted it to. And so essentially I wanted it to be praised and it hadn't been. And I went back to this this passage from Meditations, which essentially is saying that like, Praise doesn't change the beauty of something. So a flower, a flower is, be- is beautiful whether it's praised or not. So my idea in this instance could have been good whether it's praised or not. So for me to get upset that it wasn't praised doesn't make any sense. And essentially, I think that's how some of us live our life. We're chasing some sort of external validation 
But actually, if what we're doing is good, if we are good people, or if we're happy or whatever, internally, fully, so that outward thing doesn't really matter. And so then I like was journaling in myself, journaling to myself and just as a reminder to myself. And then I sent it to some friends as well. You know, art doesn't become art because somebody else says it's a painting. It's a painting. Yeah. I guess to throw a spanner in that thought, which is, I guess, the um, conventional thoughts, which is, but bills don't pay themselves. You know? That's true. Mm -hmm. And... So I think there's work to be done. And I think that I'm not saying that people shouldn't care about their jobs, but I think you have to recognise where your line is and, and like when you're damaging yourself. And actually for a lot of people, I think it's just about boundaries. I think for a lot of us, it's about, it is just about creating boundaries. And those boundaries also go beyond our work. Like it's this idea that, you know, if you've got a weekend and you've absolutely filled it with everything, like with socialising or with uh, all yeah. the housework or you think you need to be yeah. this and you need to be that. Yeah. And I, it's this idea that we're supposed to do yeah. it all. R- rest is actually meaning our, like to do nothing is something, you know? <laughs> yeah. And so, and I think it's more, I just think that there needs to be a more honest conversation about what it does take to do certain things. So I don't, when the restaurant was open and I was writing I'm also not doing a lot of things. I don't see a lot of my friends often because I can't do what I'm doing in other areas of my life and do that. Um, do you know, and I think, and I think it's more that it's this idea that so, this idea that we think that we should be doing everything and therefore to do everything we shouldn't rest. Where it's like, well, no. If I if I want to have some rest, but I also want to work and put this much effort into chikus, and I want to write this much, and I want to spend this much time with my family, something has to give. And so right now, for example, I made a conscious decision coming into this year that I was coming off social media because I needed to get certain things done. And I actually just looked at my time and I was like, I don't have time for endless scrolling. If I want to get my eight hours sleep and do this and do that and do this other thing. And there's also a whole bunch of things I just don't engage with. Like my friends will mention stuff to me all the time. They're like, I don't know who you're talking about. They're like, oh my God, you know, it's so-and-so. They do this thing. I'm like, I don't know what you're talking about. Like, I don't mentally have capacity to try and hold that information in or to read every news article that comes out that is going viral. Um, I just don't engage in a lot of things so that I've got the space for the things that I do. I do want to engage with. And I, and then I think it's about working out what matters to you. And so for me, that's my family, like my family massively matters. So in all the times, no matter how much I've been working, like, for their birthdays, it's like a thing. I know exactly when all my siblings, like as my siblings' birthdays are approaching, it's always like, okay, what are we doing for it? I'm, my calendar is clear for it. Like th- that they're non-negotiables. And then similar with my parents. And then the, similarly with some of my friends as well. It's like, okay, well, I might not be able to go for drinks every weekend, but for this thing that I know is important for you. So I know my friend, like my best mate's got her book coming out this year. And I've got that date in my head, like, Whatever, whatever is happening around her launch, whatever she needs me to do during that time, I'm there for that, I'm you here, know? Yeah. And, it's, and I think it's a lot of just thinking about that, but recognising you can't do everything and there's no point trying to do everything. And actually, I don't think we even really want to do everything. We just think we do because yeah. we want to be able to prove we could have yeah. as if it was some kind of thing. Um, but yeah, managing burnout is a really, is a really tricky one. I've, I've got it wrong a lot. Um, I Dance has really helped me, but my actual in terms of therapy I, I do dance but I also do have actual therapy with a therapist yeah, yeah. um big and advocate. that's been really important yeah I'm I've 
I found that really helpful in yes. helping me stay balanced. And I think um, entre- and I with exercise entre- a lot as well. Yeah, and I think with entrepreneurship, um, you get a lot of knocks. And I think it's important that you, you, in the same way you go to the doctor or the dentist, I think it's important that your mental health also takes priority. Um, spoken by, I guess, all that advice was given from Forbes 100 women founders in Europe. <laughs> so I'm adding small weights to do here. Um, but where where can everyone find you, find Chukus, um, order a meal kit, um, experience it, even though we're all, all in lockdown? Where can we find you on, on the DigiWeb? So you can find me personally mm-hmm. on my social media, Instagram, Twitter at ify, I-F-E-Y underscore Frederick. I will be back. Um, I just need to, to get some work done. Or I'm more present on LinkedIn. Um, actually on LinkedIn, I shared an article about my wellbeing lessons from burnout. Um, there I'm on Ifane with Frederick. Um, you can follow Chukus at C-H-U-K-U-S-L-D-N. Um, we're on all the main social media platforms. And if you head to our website, chikuslondon.co.uk, um, you can order yourself a Chop Chat meal kit as well. And I just wanted to say the thing that I'd forgotten, but it just came back to me that I was remembering, that I was writing today, that I actually really want people to remember because I think it really matters whether you're going to start your own business or whether you're even just like looking for love or just working on something or working on yourself. Um, And the thing that I was writing this morning that was triggered by the reading I was doing in Marcus Aurelius Meditations, which I highly recommend from anyone who wants to dip into ancient philosophy. Um, The passage I wrote to myself um, that I was just thinking about and I just wrote these words um, and then I shared them and I want to share them with your community as well, is that your your worth is not contingent on any externality. Mm, Your worth say that again is your worth is not contingent on any externality and I think to go to end where we started which was you know when you asked me about Cambridge I think that was a lesson I went to Cambridge and I started learning there and since then I've been like really (laughs) honing that lesson and really trying to internalize that um, and I ultimately think that's where my burnouts were driven from, chasing something external to prove myself. And I, I think actually if more of us just recognise there isn't anything outside of ourselves that can validate us any more than we can, um, I think we'd all be better at making decisions and stopping when we need to stop, but we'd still get our bills paid. Amazing. Amazing. Thank you so much, Ifeinwa, for joining us on this week's episode. And we'll also have um, your handles and everything in the show notes. Thank you for having me. Thank you for joining us on this episode of Third Culture Africans. We are building a community of leaders and game changers and would love you to join in the conversation on thirdcultureafricans.com. Subscribe for news, for tips and more useful resources on today's topic and more episodes to ignite and inspire your entrepreneurial journey. Carry on the conversation on Facebook and Instagram at Third Culture Africans. Your ratings and reviews are important to us, so please leave one on your favorite streaming platform and help us amplify our voices. Until next time, you are valid, you are strong, and you are just getting started.